Hello, my name is Connor. And I'm Jason. And you're listening to the Amazed and Perplexed podcast. Jason, has there ever been um, a moment where you feel like you arrived? Like where, you, it, it, maybe just to kind of unpack that a little bit, is there ever a moment where like you had been um, working towards something, whether it was like a project or it was a, um, a, a place of like where you were trying to get to be a certain kind of person or you were trying to do a certain kind of work and you feel like, oh man, like you stepped onto the stage metaphorically or, or literally and you're like, okay, like it, it's here. I, I think in two different directions and it's it's telling about me. So there's two way I think, ways I think about this. It's something I've completed uh, versus something I've wanted for myself and arrived at. I, you know, the first one's relatively easy because other people tell you you did it. Like you graduated from high school, you graduated. I, I remember getting out of the army and driving home, starting that trip and feeling so accomplished to be done. Um, or graduating, you know, when I, when I ended up getting my final degree, and and at that point, certainly I believed, and I still believe, I was not going to get any more formal education like that, and feeling really good. It's funny in my own head, though, in both those cases, matter of fact, in all those cases, it was much more about, um, I finished it, I'm done, I don't have to do that anymore, versus <laughs> I've arrived. And in my own personal just development, you know, I, I think mostly... And it's it's interesting because I would never think about I've arrived. I'm so tuned into that idea and have fought back against the idea that that I've arrived in my mm-hmm. biblical thinking because I grew up surrounded by that. Like we don't need yeah. to do any more thinking. We've already decided everything. That I consider it a negative versus a positive. Sure. It's funny. We, I think we've talked before. It's more of I am arriving. Right. I am arriving. Yeah. That that's where I'm at today, and that's where I'm at tomorrow. If I'm earnestly seeking after God, sorry to mean you're up. Right. No, that's that's exactly that says that very well. So I think the closest to it is just feeling like, and I'll have this experience periodically. It's feeling like, look, I'm I'm in the life I wanted. You know, I really love my wife. I really love my kids. Uh, there's mutual respect. Everybody is largely healthy. You know, those kind of things. And I'm I'm in a freer space than I've ever been. Uh, and you know, I so I guess that's the closest I could say on that very personal level of here, here are the ways I think about that. Uh, what about you? That was, that was very mature and emotion, mature and, uh, emotionally <laughs> stable response. So I, I'm going to take it a little bit less serious. I remember I was, um, so I played basketball growing up and, um, I was really good when I was younger, like really, really good. My parents spent a absurd amount of money, like over $10,000 pouring a basketball court in their backyard because they wow. genuinely thought, that I was a chance I would play in the NBA. And like, I, I think they were flush with money at the time. So they were like, here's $10,000, like on a 2% chance that we can live off our son's money. What they didn't take in fact was that one, they're both white and they're both, my dad's like five, nine and my mom's five, three. So unless I had a tumor in my pituitary gland, it was not going to work out. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I've but, never thought of a tumor so positive before. 
<laughs> I just some people have all the luck. No, but like I remember I was like I was really good. Like I would I like when I was like up until like eight or nine years old, I would average like thirty, forty points a game. Like I was wow. just dominating. It was just because I had two older brothers and so I was very coordinated because like, you know, they would just, you know, not beat me around in terms of like but like when we played and we're roughhousing, you know, I just had to be very physically coordinated um early on. Uh and so eventually there was a time where like that kind of leveled off and I wasn't so great. And I remember it was like seventh or eighth grade. I was on the I was on the school basketball team. I played some AAU, but that wasn't like those weren't your friends. Those weren't the people you spend every day with. Um, but we were on the we we're in seventh or eighth grade, uh, seventh or eighth grade. And our, my coach didn't really think much of me. Like I, I would I was constantly like getting in trouble and constantly getting like just uh, sent right to the bench for every mistake I made. Um, and so I was like subsequently like I had never felt like like I never felt trusted or anything like that. Um, and I remember there was this game. I think it was towards the end of my se- seventh grade year where like uh somebody was sick and so like they um basically my coach was like forced to start me um and i proceeded like and my team was really good like we had a couple like couple guys who i think eventually ended up going playing like division one or division two basketball um but i like hit like three three pointers in a row to start off the game because they were like hey there's that kind of chubby white guy with long hair we're not going to worry about him and i hit like three straight three-pointers and i don't know what else i did that game but like i kept starting after that and i remember the next day being at school like you know i had this newfound respect for these people that were like really genuinely good at basketball and like who i'd like fought for their respect for a year and a half to this point um and so for me i remember like i remember that next day at practice just being like like you know my shoulders were a little bit more square um and i just i had this like that, that next day, I remember, like, at practice, I would just start letting them fly. You know, I was very reserved. But after that, I was like, no, no, I, I, I've i arrived. And then I probably went, like, 0 for 20 the next game. But anyways, that's a very silly thing, and I'll probably condense it a little bit. But I, I, I just – it's really fascinating to me, the idea – um, j- just this this concept of of what it is to like have the culmination of things, um, have things culminate in a moment, um, and in the in the weirdness, right? Of you talked about in your response that we'll have these things we work to, or these things that we're just striving for, whether it be intentionally or just by the processes of how we live our life, and they culminate in these big moments. And you have there, you can kind of sometimes you can distill them into these singular moments, and they're very vivid memories. But then life keeps going, and they're they keep having these um these things after the fact. And so today we're, we're going to talk about the triumphal entry of Jesus into Jerusalem, uh, the last week of his life. And, and some of the things that we, some of the things that I was thinking about, I felt like really kind of were interesting. Um, and just kind of touched on that subject of Jesus knows he has more to go, but yet what, what this moment, what this, um, this culmination of things as, as things seem pretty good in the moment, what would that be like for Jesus? And so, um, if you want to open up to John chapter 12, uh, Jason will read for us. Yeah. I'll start in verse 12. The next day, the great crowd that had come for the festival heard that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem. They took palm branches and went out to meet him, shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the King of Israel. Jesus found a young donkey and sat on it, as it is written, Do not be afraid, daughter Zion. See, your king is coming, seated on a donkey's colt. At first, his disciples did not understand all this. Only after Jesus was glorified did they realize that these things had been written about him and that these things had been done to him. Now the crowd that was with him when he called Lazarus from the tomb and raised him from the dead continued to spread the word. Many people, because they had heard that he had performed this sign, went out to meet him. So the Pharisees said to one another, See, this is getting us nowhere. Look how the whole world has gone after him. So, Connor, what about this amazes you? Yeah, so I mean, this is this is a moment, uh, man. Ever since I really like like fell in love with Jesus, that's just fascinated me. 
the emotions in this moment just I, I I one day just can't wait to to talk to Jesus and ask him like man what was it like because I mean Jesus was human and so he had to feel these like some sort of exhilaration of like man you know and not and not some sort of like prideful exhilaration when he's being you know applauded and he's being you know all like but just there's a natural um physiological response that humans have in this sort of moment like it, it's funny to think about like did Jesus get goosebumps you know um was he like super excited but then realizing oh my gosh like this is not going to end well and, and like and, and that that tension and, and just for me, there might not be a story, um, not, maybe not be a moment in the Bible that grounds Jesus more for me um, than this story. I, I think about the, the reality um, of Jesus living in the tension of complete and utter adoration um, from people, not just people like, oh, hey, here's a cool crowd, but people who knew things that Jesus did and who had seen him do miracles um, and people being like, yeah, I've seen this guy come up. I've seen him put in the work and, and, and I, I, I'm fully on board with this, with this Jesus guy. And yeah, he, he's, he's our dude. And then to, to see that and then to, to know, to have that inner conversation or that inner realization that that this is all going to turn to ash. Um, that for me, that experience has got to be um, that that inner voice or whatever whatever Jesus experienced that moment for me. Like that has got to be um, for me. Jesus feels like it, it, and maybe I'm attributing things. It just feels so real um, to me in this story. It just feels so. Like I feel so much sympathy and so much empathy for Jesus. Not in the fact that I'm going to take on the sins of the world, but just that. Um, just that that tension that Jesus must be under, um, yeah. For me, that it, I just have so much sympathy, and, and it's it's so incredible. Uh, yeah, I did not. I, I'm really glad to hear you say that. I I didn't connect with that at all. Like, like it's fascinating what drew me, um, but I can see it, you know. And it actually magnifies what amazes me. Is from Jesus' vantage point, it is what you said said it is. You know, it is this huge deal. Uh, earlier in the text, in Luke, it talks about Jesus. I, I think is I think it's the NIV translation, or at least an earlier NIV translation, where he's he set his face as flint, like this idea toward Jerusalem. So he's been thinking about it for a while. That's a good callback. Yeah, and and that dynamic of of when you're thinking about something that is both very purposeful and very frightening, mm-hmm. it would bring all this to a culmination. What amazes me is where it says. Uh, the apostles' response, where they're hearing all this, at first his disciples did not understand, only after Jesus was glorified, and in my mind, that's, you know, after his resurrection, and so that means he is virtually alone here. Oh, yeah. Uh, In terms of that sense of impact, you know, when you are honored for something, so you graduate from high school, um, and we understand it's that's not of, of all the honors. That's not the biggest honor in the world because it's kind of a, if you keep showing up and keep doing the work, you know. And it, mm-hmm. it's I don't want to take anything away from it, but it's not like being the one guy sure. to earn the Nobel Peace Prize that year or whatever, you know. And so, but but how would it feel to be in an, be in a room where nobody cheered for you? Like not only you couldn't hear them, depending on your graduation setting. Sometimes it's pretty loud and big, but like you knew there was nobody there for you that there was nobody that got that it was a big deal. And his it, it, it's a sad amazement in that regard, but it, it, it does illustrate, and again, it's, it's, it's so amplified by what you said, it does illustrate the dynamic of how alone Jesus was, that 
these people start cheering this, and it catches his apostles completely off guard. Yeah. They do not know how to process the fact that people are calling Jesus the king of Israel. They've not called Jesus the king of Israel. They have said he's the Messiah, but then quickly, like a few chapters later, they indicate they don't get it, you know. And and it's just one of these dynamics that, yeah, it, it amazes me, and, and it's because I equate feeling good about my relationship with God um, by how good I feel about my life. If I feel good about my life, I will usually report I feel good about my relationship with God. But if I feel alone, if I feel isolated, if I feel misunderstood, especially chronically misunderstood like Jesus, it would kind of bring it to a head here. I would, and you ask me, how's your relationship with God? I would tend to answer in relation to those feelings, not very good. I don't know what I'm doing wrong. You know, those kind of things. And and think about if that if that is your response, and yet for everybody else, it seems like things are going gangbusters. I mean, we know, I mean, we've, we've all either experienced that or heard stories of people where like they, you know, where from all outward appearances, they had arrived. They had, they had, you know, achieved what they were supposed to achieve, but inwardly it was, um, it was not uh, the the uh, the experience of arriving to the outside world was not giving was not what their hearts desired or not ultimately um, bringing about what we would think it should bring about. And I think about what it would be. Um, I I think about so for <laughs> I love the point you drew upon from the disciples' perspective. So from the dis- disciples' perspective, this has to be. Like almost this has to be confirming what they previously thought was going to happen. This almost has to be confirming the exact thing that Jesus had had kept telling them was not going to happen. And so that further um, gives gives way to this feeling of isolation for Jesus. Um, And I think about how lonely it would feel, um, how lonely it must have felt even more for Jesus or for anybody that the triumph that what what the outside world would say is like is the um, the culmination, um, your triumph, your, you know, y- y- the, the point at which you've arrived um, f- f- to the outside world, how lonely it would feel to be like, no, this is actually the loneliest I've ever felt in my entire mm-hmm. life. Yeah. And, and I think, and it just shows how, to me, in, within my own self as I consider this, how much I value and maybe even equate the the outsiders and the outsiders maybe my family i'm talking about people outside me and outside god not unsaved but you understand what i'm saying they're not god how god says things about me in the bible that are very specific and very um shockingly amazing you know i'm an overcomer and i'm more than a conqueror and i'm these things i don't feel that way most of the time and so even that question you ask um, my mind went to in the initial question you know about how do you when was the time you arrived um I pointed to times where other people said I arrived. And it doesn't mean I didn't feel like it was something, but it felt like something because everybody said it was something. Mm-hmm. Like like if you take it in general, if there was no school uh, of any sort and you were just doing education, you wouldn't hit some false plateau and think, well, I guess that's all I need, <laughs> unless, you, unless you're just thinking some specific task. Sure. Like when I get on YouTube to figure out how to do something, you know, technical i don't even know how to talk about it i'm so, I'm so inept but do something is mechanical. the word fix <laughs> yeah what do you call that? yeah <laughs> sounds like anyway but th- but that idea i only learn until my capacity to fulfill the task is met yeah you know and many times before my capacity to fulfill it is met and so we've we've allowed and i'm not saying this is evil i'm just pointing it out we've allowed the world to tell us when we arrived number one 
And number two, that means that there may be stuff happening in me today that I'm arriving at things that God has wanted me to have. Like, 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 man, I'm exercising real kindness that, that comes from the fruit of the Spirit, you know, that's, that's a result of the Spirit working. But if the people around me don't acknowledge it, I, I'm very likely to tell myself, well, I didn't do anything today. And I think if you feed on a steady diet of that, you start to think, is God really real? I mean, yes, he's real, but does he have really a power in my life? And, and, and I think this is a piece of why we don't appreciate and we give up on God's spirit actually working in our life. Because we've only, if, if the whole world doesn't stand up and applaud, or at least people we think should applaud, if they're not applauding, I must not be accomplishing anything here. Yeah. I think we do that for ourselves. And I think we do as, as, as a church. I think so much of what we do personally and in the church um, models, it, 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 so many, like we exist, like you talked about, so much of our existence, especially in America, is is that goal oriented. How do we get to this point? How do we get? How do we finish school? How do we get the best grades? How do we get the most profit for the quarter? Whatever the thing may be. Again, I don't know the technical technical terms for being successful in business, <laughs> but um, but that's so much of how how we exist, and we're judged um, judged by those standards. And if you like, just phrase it to people that way, like, "Hey, should we should we judge by how much we accomplish as a Christian?" No, of course you shouldn't judge yourself or judge others or judge the church. But yet, so often we have these um, we have these artificial things that we've erected that like we could be doing fantastic work. You know, when I was, I remember there were times when I was like, when I was a youth minister, that I was like, I could do fantastic work. Like I could have spent the the previous like night like on the phone with a kid who was in crisis and helping them and helping their parents and being for the, you know, just, I mean, what my, like in that moment, what I was absolutely supposed to be doing. And I could have, um, I could have spent the next day. I could have been working, um, and studying the Bible with a kid and had some real breakthroughs and just been doing amazing stuff. But if that Wednesday night, you know, only 75% of the people that showed up, um, the 75% of the kids that I expected or, or thought needed to show up, then one from the outside perspective, that would be, that would be seen as failure. Um, and eventually I took that as failure too. I would feel bad about a week. Even if I, even if I did what I knew what was, was right. And I reached kids better than I could ever reach on a Wednesday night less than an hour span. I still would feel like a failure, even in the midst of so much greater success. And even, even I know so much more per, I would gain so much more satisfaction from that sort of deep, um, soul level work than I would, than more kids showing up than I thought were going to show up on a Wednesday night. But yet I would let, I would let that affect me more than, um, the positive. I would let that negative affect me more than the positive of the deep soul work, um, with, with, uh, with my teens. And I think there's something super powerful about acknowledging it. I, I think when we talk about maturing in Christ, a part of that, I don't know how big of a part, but a part of it is realizing I have all these things going on in my subconscious that that I need to bring into my consciousness. And these things that cause me to do self-defeating things and these things that cause me to, when I, if I really read the scripture and said, do I believe that? Not just do I agree that's what he said, but do I really base my life on this? And then owning, I don't. I don't base my life on that at all. So I'm saying, why not? What What are the messages existing my my subconscious that that need to? I need to ask God. Hey, will you reveal what is it I'm doing that's tearing this down? Mm-hmm. You know, by even you saying what you just said, I'm like, that's right. That's what I do. I, I do that same thing, and I'm like, I need to continue to value. Number one, the good that God brings, because according to Ephesians 2.10, he prepared an advance for me to do. And number two, when I'm feeling bad, I've got to dig a little bit deeper 
and say, why? Has God changed? Like, like what, what is this that I'm feeling bad about? And so many times, it's either because I feel like I failed or I feel like I'm going to fail. So it's either guilt uh, and, and unhealthy guilt to that point, because healthy guilt just means to turn us back to God, or it's fear. And, and that's, the, that's that dynamic that, that it's helpful. Then I can live in fluidity. You know, being in relationship with God doesn't eliminate fear, but it is supposed to allow us not to be afraid of the fear. <laughs> and so, but if I just say, no, no, I'm just going to pretend like that's not happening. I'm not going to give any attention to that. I continue to have the same problems. So kind of moving away from from uh, from that conversation or, or transitioning a little bit, uh, what perplexes you about this passage? It, it's uh, it's almost, it's a twofer to some degree, but uh, I guess the main thing that jumps out at me, it, the crowd could I, I could count in this, but you have to include other passages. But the the Pharisees are so dug in, and, and their sentences in verse nineteen. See, this is getting us nowhere. So you're like, what is the this? The constant attempt to devalue Jesus's message and therefore his power is failing. And I'm like, they, even if nobody had said it out loud, they had the same definition of insanity as we do, <laughs> you know, trying the same thing over and over again and getting the same results. Um, and, and I think at, at this point, I'm like, the people are coming out unsolicited to say, you're king of Israel. You're the king, which, which is not, those aren't empty words. That, that's a direct statement against their oppressors. This is where, this is one of the accusations they bring against Jesus is he's saying he's king of the Jews, and that's against Caesar, and uh, when Pilate won't do what they want, they say, oh, so you want Caesar to know? There's another guy. Here, these guys are saying it freely, and is there not a single Pharisee like, yeah, I, I know. I know we've, I know what our, goal, what our goal was. I know we started out, we thought we were right, but at what point do you wake up and see, and I feel this way about church so much. I, I feel like most church, and I'm talking to the broadest understanding of that term when we talk about Christian churches, churches that claim Christ Jesus, I feel like God is going to have to kill off a hundred more churches before people say, okay, we're going to have to distinguish between the why we are doing stuff and the how we are doing stuff. Because if we keep doing it the same how, we will not be a church. I mean, the evidence is mounting all around us. And in many cases, one could say it, it was revealed 25, 30 years ago. I can remember I am 51 years old. When I graduated from high school, they were saying, guys, we got to do something because less than 50% of our graduates uh, are going to come back to church. Here we are all these years later. Mm -hmm. And it's like, and the statistics are much poorer. And most churches are still doing things exactly the same way. And insisting that's God's will, despite the fact the way we do things, the how, is not found in the Bible. And, I, and, and so that it, it perplexes me about them, yeah. and it perplexes me about me, it perplexes me about us. And, and I understand as a church leader how hard it is to change the culture of a church, to tweak even one little thing mm -hmm. that you do can cause seismic problems. And so I get the pressure. But, but it is that when I look at it from this perspective, like it's so easy for me to judge the Pharisees. Like, isn't somebody going to be the voice of reason and say, wait, guys, something is happening here. Mm -hmm. Like, we've been teaching for years and years, and nobody's gotten this excited. Yeah. Well, I think it, it, you think about, like, in your church, if there was an uprising for, like, man, we really, 
you know, like, okay, I know you got Memorial has a food pantry. Let's say Memorial didn't have a food pantry. And there was an uprising like of, of like 20, 30% of your church was like, man, we have to be about this, like about the food. We have to be about feeding like, and, and not just like in a food pantry setting, like we need to be out there every single and like, and really jazz up for it. Even if that was like, that was like going against what you had kind of planned and the idea of like where we want to direct our resources, there is a threshold for the, for a number of, of, of people who are, who are, you know, watching and who are observant where you go, okay, like. I don't really feel this, but at a certain point, like I have to be like, I have to be thinking, okay, well maybe God is giving, you know, giving this to some other people. Now I get, it's a lot bigger thing than like a food pantry is a lot bigger. It's a lot smaller of a thing than declaring somebody as king of your nation and sending that nation into rebellion against the biggest empire the world had ever seen at that point. I recognize that it's a, it's a, it's there's a little bit apples to oranges, but there is a sense that I, I really think is, is, is important that you said there that, so often we have this sense as people who think about Jesus things a lot or who, you know, if, if you're a leader in the church, that change is going to come through us, that salvation, that the answers, that the way God is going to move is going to come through us. Um, and when evidence presents itself that that may not be the case, it almost seems unfathomable that the answer wouldn't come from the top down. Um and this is one of those beautiful examples. And again, these people will turn away and they won't, you know, so it's not like a perfect one-to-one -one comparison, but there is, this is one of those senses where the rabble, the peasants, the, the less than um, change is trying to bubble up from the bottom up, from the poorest up, from the people who are the downtrodden up, and it's being suppressed actively um, from the top down. And, and the scary thing is, is how often do we do that today? Right. Yeah, yeah, that's it. What am I resisting today in my affluence? And not just financial affluence, but my sense of stability. You know, one of the reasons why Jesus resonated with the poor, one of the reasons why mission work abroad uh, typically resonates a lot with the poor is the poor are willing to listen. You know, the poor's problems are, are more. Now, I've met poor people that are the happiest people in the world, so I want to be clear on that. But their problems are right there in front of them. And solutions are not easy, but they're at least something you can offer. Mm -hmm. But to the person that has enough money and they've got good medical care and they, you know, don't need food, you know, it's it's harder to say, hey, we have something to offer because we're talking spiritual in nature. And though I do believe it improves your overall life, um, that's not the main dynamic because certainly you couldn't go – make the case for most of the people in the Bible that it improved their overall life. Sure. Well, even, even the sense of like, you're, if you're going to somebody and, and everything from, like we talked about earlier, everything from the outside seems to be going well, but there's inner turmoil and inner loneliness and, and, and ultimately not satisfaction. And there's this inner disturbance within, um, the whole world is telling them like, as long as you got the outside part, like it's, it's pretty much okay. And is and ultimately the, the inner part that you feel some like, kind of like, um, anguish about it's just you need to reconcile with yourself and your identity and reconcile with um with with who you are and then it will be completely okay and so when the church goes to people or when the church is, is trying to help people um see um see what they're missing or see like how they need jesus or how jesus speaks into their life one like you talked about there's not that physical direct need that that's easy to have that approach with but two um one, the world for a long time told them, ignore the inner voice, ignore, ignore what's going on underneath. And now there's the undercurrent of, well, you are the solution to your own problems. And so um, that is, but, but then coming up around and saying, no, it's actually this other thing that is, is, is the hell, like that's even, that, that's a, and again, you don't want to be like, it's so much harder living in an affluent area, but it is a really difficult, challenging um, perspective to, to be approaching um, loving people with the love of Christ. 
Yeah, it is. And, and I think and in both cases, well, and there's not two cases, sort of billion cases, but when you think of just the, the like stereotype. Seven billion cases, actually. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But but you have the, the those in poverty and those not, you know, kind of kind of dynamic. In both those cases, there are serious advantages uh, for the gospel and serious disadvantages, you know, of, of how they're presented, you know. And I think that's the key is watching for those advantages. The, the other dynamic I feel about this, I said at the beginning, you know, it's kind of two for one, but it is, it's the people you reference this is, they're in Jerusalem now. Uh, and so it's, I, I think it's unlikely that some of them weren't present for the, the trial of Jesus, you know, and you have them here just relatively days in advance, and they're saying, you're the king of the Jews, and then they are, at the very least, they allow it to happen. There's no rebellion. And that's an interesting thought. There's no rebellion when people catch wind that Jesus is going to be crucified. That doesn't mean they were in agreement with it necessarily, but they have all this energy to make these bold statements while he's there. And, and this, this does relate to me. When God is functioning like I think he should, I'm so confident. When he saves the person that's dying, when he, when he makes my problems go away, but when he's not acting the way I think he should, then it's like, uh, I don't know. I, I don't know how this works. And I may not I may not even admit to myself I'm struggling with doubt, but it does change the way I show up in my world. And it's it's just again, it's one of, it perplexes me about them, but then it's it's only too easy to see it in myself too. Sure. It's always easier to have trust and have the confidence to speak out when you're within numbers. You know, it's always easy whenever there is that safety of the crowds. And in that moment, the safe thing is is to support Jesus, is to be um, is to be doing what they're doing. So I, I, I totally resonate with you. Um, it, it's always so perplexing and so amazing how little we change over the course of a couple thousand right. years. Yeah, so as you look at this, what perplexes you? The, the, there's this intentionality... And this patience that Jesus has with his work that is so um, otherworldly. We talk, we've talked about it many times before, but man, our desire to be understood, to be heard, to be not just heard, but like completely and utterly heard correctly um, and in the exact way that we meant it. Um, so much so that for me, like when I do this podcast, like I feel the need to clarify all, all the time what what I mean and, and Jason and I will have conversations after the fact of hey did we make our point completely clear here or like did we you know like is anybody going to misinterpret or are people going to take this in, in, a, in a wrong or bad way we don't do that all the time but there is there is a, it does happen and it happens a lot in my in my day-to-day life um I I am just so what would it look like for me if I had the patience that Jesus has here in my um in my walk with God. Like I believe God has done things through me that are bearing out fruit that I did five years ago that will bear out fruit 10, 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years from, uh, until, until eternity. I believe that. Like I I firmly believe that. But I don't know if I intentionally live that way. Which then again, you could make that argument. Is that truly belief if you're not truly living it out? But that's not at all what I want to talk about. That's not, that's, that doesn't really pertain to what we're talking about right now. Um, but there is this weird thing where I think about um how how is Jesus so okay? How is Jesus so in I mean I, I know how he is, but how is he so in tune with the work of God that he is so patient um and so willing to be seen as 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 failing in a moment or feeling like failing in a moment? Um I, I just think, man, 
what is it like like how does it even look to live this sort of intentionality um when it comes to how we you know spread the seed or how we um or how we communicate to people or how we love people like obviously i don't have the foresight necessarily that jesus has um or that that jesus has at these moments or or certainly obviously that god does um obviously the father does but there is this this thing for me do i need to take a better look at myself and be thinking more about not like hey i'm sending a, i'm i'm sending a portion of my money to missionaries overseas so the 50 years from now some you know some people will know the gospel absolutely do that that's that's incredible work that's really important but do i do i look at that like in my day-to-day life do i think about the planting of the seed like do i think about um the way i love my family or the way that i treat people at work or the way um that i go about my day-to-day life um do I go about it with the intentionality, with the belief, one, that I, and the knowledge that I will not be understood, that I will be, in fact, misunderstood at, at times, and I'll feel incredibly lonely for that fact, but it's okay because ultimately this is, this is all a part of God's working. And I, I don't know. I, the, there's, there's so much there that, that, is, um, that is trying for me. Um, I, I, talked to, I started at the beginning of the podcast be like, man, Jesus feels so grounded, so alive. But this is one of those things where I'm like, man, she, this feels so alien of Jesus. Um, and so that's one of those funny, amazing, perplexed things that like at the beginning of this podcast, like I felt that way. And if you'd ask me, is there anything that feels like, you know, um, not like it would push. It feels kind of like you, you push away from Jesus. Like, no, of course not. But then now I'm at this point where I'm like, man, like how does that, how is it even possible? So that's one of those funny things that we, uh, we talk, our, I, I talk myself, um, around a skirt around a circle so or anything anything to add yeah i i it, it just brings up so much to me about and and you talk about not anticipating this i was not i mean even as you were sharing what amazed you at the very beginning my head was someplace else and then it hit me um just that idea of how much i hate uh being isolated i hate that i, I mean it, it might be one of my number one fears is holding a conviction nobody else holds it nobody else gets it and i i i perceive no this is truth i've got to stay here and especially the people that matter the most and to jesus you know he he does tell them you know of course by this point it's transition but he said hey you were my servants but now you're my friends it's it's right in this region of time this space and time within a few days he tells them we're friends so he felt this emotion towards them and even just time spent, you know, even if you work at a place you hate, there's something about, you know, their life, you know, after a while. And certainly Jesus didn't hate these guys. But that idea, uh, I mean, I, I've thought a lot about like in Gethsemane where nobody's he's there really overwhelmed. That's at like the depth of his pain. This should be at the height of his success. And now I'm asking myself, which is more painful? I, I at least can understand when I'm going through things. I see people, this happens all the time. They lose a spouse. There's some some hardship in their life, and all their friends kind of back up because nobody wants to do it wrong and, you know, that kind of thing, and they feel isolated. And, and that's certainly hurtful and painful, but I almost assume that's going to happen, you know. But you go to the other end where you're like, this, this, everybody should be celebrating. Like, there are decisions that we've made at our church that I think we are— I don't know how to say it. We we are really trying to align ourselves with what the Bible actually says. We should be cheering. Like like we are actually moving to be more conservative about what the Bible actually says instead of what we were told it said. And yet it's the opposite feeling. You know, it's like, well, I don't know. Even on family members like, I can't I can't go there with you. I, I guess we just won't ever talk about that. Basically you have a choice. You'll never talk about it again or you won't be in relationship anymore. 
And and I'm like, man, I hate that feeling. I hate, and I've experienced it in such small doses. Yeah. And that's why Jesus amazes me here. And and I think there's so much nuance that I don't appreciate about what he went through day in and day out. This just is one of those things that's really come to life to me sure. in our discussion. This is one of those things. We're we're gonna wrap up here in a moment, but where I I, I just make, it makes me so sad sometimes the state of Christian art because I think about man some of the great actors of our time like I would and again it, w- it would not be we wouldn't know exactly how Jesus is processing it, um, but I just think man if you could see like an, like like a actor's portrayal and interpretation of what it would be like to be under this pressure under this weight I feel like that'd be so helpful for me this is this is actually where I start like every time I do communion. Um, or I, I not do like every time I take communion. This is where I start my prayers. I think I, this is this is the start. I think about the whole the holy week, the whole, the last week of Jesus' life, and I start at this moment, and I try my best to, to really try to feel the feelings that Jesus would have felt. Um, but for me, I'm I'm always thinking like we so often get this portrayal of Jesus as this floating above the clouds, super you know just even keel. He's here, or and maybe he gets a little mad when he flips some tables. Um, but I would I would love and this maybe I'll add this podcast or not. I would love to see. Um, somebody who is truly talented, um, who who knows and loves Jesus, like actually attempt to um, to convey what 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 it would be like to to experience this and what it would be like to live under this pressure. Because I feel like for us, we get imparted this this image of Jesus as the floating above the clouds, as the you know kind of rise smile Jesus as he just walks about walks about things. That I feel like we lose the impact so much of, of a moment like this. Um, so, anyways, yeah, uh, really appreciate you listening always um we're really getting up there this might be episode 75 which is pretty cool that's some is that a specific kind of anniversary is it the titanium or i don't know uh, i assume most people are dead by their 75th anniversary maybe talking about their 75th year of life i, I yeah. don't know so you could get an anniversary i think because like i mean well yeah it's one of those sad things as a guy you, you're never really going to see like a you're always going to see a few 97-year-old women out there, you know, completely with it. It's not so often you see a guy. That's but, right. Uh, it's our cross to bear. Um, we're really into that in a great place. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, but we really appreciate you listening. Um, and if you would do us a favor, and whatever podcasting app that you use to listen to us, if you give us five stars or a thumbs up or however the uh, however you give a positive review, we would really appreciate it. That just, that just helps us in a variety of ways. Grace, peace, and love.